We're going to look at faith, but before we get there, um, I'm just going to speak for about five, ten minutes, and I'm just going to hand it over to Sam, but I want you to look in your booklets on page five, because I want to read something out, and then just very quickly unpack a couple of scriptures. So right at the bottom of the notes on page five, because last week we looked at hearing, didn't we? And the essential need to be able to hear the word and the difference between hearing the word and hearing his voice. And we said hearing the word was formational life in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Paul said that I'm in labor again until Christ is formed in you. So it's the word of God, the spiritual substance of God that's heard that forms his life within us. It's not just I received Jesus and that's it. There's a formational work of literally Christ in us manifesting out of us. So that's what we talked about, hearing the word, and then there's hearing his voice, which is for function. And so there's two hearing which are both eternal because they both come from the eternal one, and we need to know the difference between the two. Many people can hear his voice for function, but we also need to hear his word for formation. And that's where we're going to be houses that are full, that stand firm and resist when the torrents of life come. You can hear his voice for function and have no life in you. So when the trials and the tribulations come, you get blown over because there's no substance in you called eternal life you're still at the centre of your life and your flesh is weak. Make sense? So I want to read this part out at the bottom. It says, As we have seen, they both, which means hearing his word and hearing his voice, come from the eternal, but they perform different works. It's the word of God, the spiritual substance from the unseen realm, which opens up this realm. So the word of God opens up the unseen realm. Make sense? And allows us to see and know faith. So when the word is heard, it opens up the unseen realm and we have faith because we're looking at it. It is from this faith we are to live our lives on earth because it is this faith which brings to light and life the mind of Christ And we come to know and live from all that God has prepared for those who love him. So this word received on the inside opens up by faith this invisible realm. And that's the realm we live from, not towards, because we can see it from here. So when Paul's praying in Colossians and when he's praying in Ephesians, he's praying the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in the knowledge of what is in the unseen realm. So that means how good are we at seeing what's in the unseen? This is our challenge, isn't it? We need to be a people that can see not in the natural, but into the supernatural realm. And we're living from the realm that's spiritual, not physical. Okay, so now look at 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 10. And I'm hoping after this you're going to realize why faith is critical and why it is one of the top three things that God says. Faith is an absolute pillar in the house, meaning you and I, if we're going to live lives of faith. 
Okay? So he says this in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 10, but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared. So there are things that your eyes haven't seen yet, that your ears have not heard, that have not entered your heart. The heart is the place of what? Understanding, not your mind. You see, it's your heart, and then the heart or the spirit renews the mind. So he doesn't say understanding starts in the mind. It says understanding starts in the heart, and your mind is renewed. It says in Ephesians 4.23 that the spirit is to renew your mind. Romans 12.2, that you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. So then you're able to what? Prove what the will of God is, the very thing we looked at in Colossians. So when you know what the will of God is because the Holy Spirit is opening up everything you haven't seen and heard before, do you think you're asking what the will of God is? No, because you're living it. Once you have something, you don't ask for it, do you? Once you know it, you know what it is. So you don't ask them what the will of God is when you're living it. Okay? But it's all concealed. And this is why Paul is saying there are things that your eye has not yet seen. There are things that your ear has not yet heard. There are things that your heart has not understood that is in God and they are prepared. They're finished, done, waiting to be what? Accessed by who? My people. And then he says for those who what? Why is love the connection here? Because love pursues. I said it this morning, what we love, we pursue, yeah? What you truly love, you don't have to have a motivation for, do you? Helen, you love photography. I see it posted everywhere. Why? No, no, it's a good thing. It's amazing, photography. Because Helen loves it. Have you ever needed to be motivated for that? And it's consistent, isn't it? If you've seen Helen on Facebook, her work is consistent. There's a post every day, every second day. It's cool. It's good. It's awesome. Why? Because she loves photography. It's natural. It just comes easy. You find the time for it. Yeah. So as we fall in love with him, guess what he shows you? Things that your eye has never seen. Things your ear has never heard. Hasn't entered the place of understanding yet. And as that happens, what increases? Five-letter word, faith. You actually see. So as you see and hear, faith comes through the what? So as you hear the word of God, through the power of God, faith gets birthed and you see what's in who? God that is finished before the foundations of the earth because it tells me they're all prepared, waiting to be discovered. For to us, God revealed them, what? The things that are waiting to be discovered that are prepared through the Spirit. This is the way to life, the Spirit. It's not a formula it's not a four-step plan. It's not if you do this, this, and this, and this, then you'll get this. No, it's through him. 
He is waiting to reveal the kingdom mysteries that your eye has not yet seen, ear has not heard, your heart has no knowledge of. Can you understand why it's so important you can hear when one comes who knows these things and speaks? Because if you were to track the scripture beyond, it says, Paul says, I know what these things are and I speak of them freely. Why? So you can all have the mind of Christ. He says, the natural man does not understand the things that he has not yet heard of, seen of, has not entered into his heart. In fact, he thinks they are what? Foolishness. The power of hearing is critical for every follower if you're going to come into who he is, who you and I really are, and if we've got any chance of living this life out. The way he says it, not the way I say it. And this is why faith is critical. So turn the page. And just to really reinforce the point, this is now in Matthew. So Matthew 13, 10 to 12. Remember, we're to be a people of promise, aren't we? And God is always speaking to us about the promise, about the promise, about the promise. And then he may address your present. And then he goes back to speaking about the promise, about the promise, about the promise. Because he knows if you look at your present, there's no necessary life in your present. So he addresses your future promise. So he's always speaking promise. And he says this, hey, disciples, why do you speak? Sorry, the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered to them, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That's a promise and a half, isn't it? To you, to you, to you, to you, to you, to you, to us. I have granted you, my church, to know something other people have not been granted. What an honour. I could have been the one that was not granted to know. But that's not who I've been called to be. I've been granted to know. Why do you speak to them in parables? And a parable is a story to illustrate one main point. And Jesus always spoke in parables because he knew those who had spiritual ears to hear would hear, and those that didn't wouldn't get unnecessarily offended. He's the master teacher. So he spoke in ways and things that they would understand about farming and fishing, but he was never speaking about farming and fishing. He would say the kingdom is like that, but it's not that. And the disciples always struggled to hear when he spoke, didn't they? Because they were always hearing in the natural filter. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out into them for them to be able to hear the spiritual word that was going forth. So Jesus said, my words are spirit and life, and you need spiritual ears to hear the words that are spirit and life. One and one equals one. It's all coming from the same Kind. So if the Spirit speaks from the Spirit, we need to hear in the Spirit, correct? So he says, my people, my disciples, you've been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted, for whoever has to him more shall be given. And he will have an abundance. 
But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. You go, that's not fair. Well, we're not the ones making up the rules. He is. So he's saying, I want to give you, and you've been granted to know, the mysteries of the kingdom. All the things that I have already prepared and finished, my church is to know them. You're to know stuff that others don't know. Why? So you can share it with them so they can know it. You're to be a prophetic race who know the prophetic prophecies. Don't despise prophecy. Don't quench the Holy Spirit when he speaks. Hear what he has to say. Because you're to be of his kind who speak these things into the earth. For those who have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, they hear. And faith is birthed on the inside through hearing this word, which is a very specific kind, which comes from a very specific kind of preaching. Or a man or a woman has been in the Lord, with the Lord, and the word comes from the Lord to that person to speak. Not any word. Anyone can get up here and speak words. Not everyone can speak the word of heaven, the utterances of heaven, but that's who we've been called to be. So this is huge, isn't it? And so this is the prefix or the context for faith because hearing builds a faith that sees. And when you can see it, you can speak of it. You see, when you can see the picture that's still blank on that canvas, you will sing and dance and you'll share with everyone who wants to know. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Call to see in the unseen and not live by sight. Why? Because your home isn't here. I guarantee you could all tell me about your natural home. You could tell me about the good bits, the annoying bits, and the bits that need fixing. What about your true home? If you're from somewhere else, talk to me about your true home. Because that's just your temporal home. Tell me about your eternal home. What does it look like? Tell me where you're from. Tell me what it means to be a citizen from that place, living here on earth. So Father, I pray that we would hear in such a way that we would be shaken to our core tonight. I pray that you would rock us and shake us in a way that's so loving and caring but transitions us and it makes us aware of everything that's in you, the concealed one, but you want to reveal. God, you say, come as an infant because you've concealed from the wise and the intelligent your truth and you call us to be like a man that goes and digs. You say your kingdom is like a man that found a pearl, but it's not that. It's like that. You say this seed, this kingdom seed, it's like a seed that becomes the largest of garden plants, but it's not. Father, they are all illustrations to show us what happens when we receive the kingdom word in us and it finds its mark in our hearts and we start to understand and see the seed and it starts to take life and it comes into a tree and all of a sudden we become a resource out and overflowing from us is your spiritual life in us and we can minister love and grace and mercy and kindness and gentleness and long-suffering and we hold no wrongs of account against anybody because we are a people of faith. And Paul said, I want to walk by faith in the Christ. 
And so, God, tonight, open up what is contained in your Son, deep in our hearts of understanding. And may we pursue you with a love so you will show us everything that is in the Son that we have been granted to know. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Well, I think uh, that's pretty much us for the night. Uh, <laughs> no, I think that, that's such a fantastic segue into what we're going to be looking at this evening in terms of diving deeper into what true spiritual faith actually is. Um, and, and like Greg said, and like we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, you know, the scriptures say that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And it's so essential that, you know, what we've been hearing and receiving over the past couple of weeks flows into what we're going to be looking at now in, in terms of what true faith actually is. Because if we don't have the ability to hear, we won't actually see as God sees. You know, And so it's so essential that when we start to unpack what faith is and what his purposes are, that we see it from his perspective and not an image that we've formed in our own minds. You know, we were looking last uh, last week about these scriptures in, in Deuteronomy, and you know, where, where we see the Israelites um, take and make for themselves a God fashioned and shaped in their own image. And I think, like we talked about, these are all typologies and pictures and examples for us now today. It's not an isolated event or incident all of these years ago. This is they're all, in, all instruction for us to understand what it is that God is looking to do in us now. Um, so faith, um, so we've got here our first line, faith is a currency of the unseen. Without faith, we can't access the unseen. Just like money is the currency of earth, faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. And so here we see that there's, there's a transaction that needs to take place. Faith is the currency of the unseen. Without faith, we can't access the unseen. And this verse that, we, that, that Greg has just read out is so interesting. He says, who, who among men knows the thoughts of man except the spirit of a man that's within him? And he says, even in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And, he's, and so what is he saying? He's saying, in the same way that you can't enter into someone else's mind and read their thoughts, you've got no ability to enter into God's mind and to know God's thoughts unless, and this is the, this is the kicker, and this is what is so incredible about these verses. He says, but to us he's revealed his mysteries, his eternal plans, his purposes, his heart, by the Spirit. And so we're not to be like those who are trying to guess what God's mind is and create a God in our own image. We're to, we're to be those who have the Spirit of God dwelling and living and abiding within us so that we know his thoughts and we know his heartbeat. And it's, it's not guesswork, it's revelation because we've come to share in that same heartbeat. So I, I feel like what, what's on my heart this evening, 
is that we would realize that our that how do I put this into words that we that we would go from hearing intellectually and naturally to to a hearing that's of the spirit from seeing naturally and receiving naturally to receiving by the spirit and you know I, I was just thinking about you know, throughout the week, what a simple way of putting it would be, you know, and I thought, you know, imagine this holy table that we have here that no one sits at because they don't want all of the internet to inspect the quality of their haircut from the back. (laughs) But imagine instead of having an empty table here, we had a Volkswagen Beetle. Does anyone know what a Volkswagen Beetle is? Probably one of the most popular cars back in the day. So just close your eyes for a second and imagine that right in front of you is a Volkswagen Beetle. If you've never seen one before, you can, you can dream, you can imagine it. Now this car is green and it's got some mud splattered down the side. It's obviously been in some sort of rally race and there's a dent in the front right hand side. And on the other side, the rear vision mirror's just hanging. You know how it hangs and the cord is just attached but the mirror's dropped down? Now you can open your eyes, that's all there was to it. (laughs) But do you see how you heard something, and for all of you, I bet you it created a picture in your mind. You, You heard first, and you saw, right? Now, in the spirit, hearing comes before before seeing. It says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so just like you heard a description and you saw something, I bet you everyone in this room would see something slightly different based on your reference points for what a Volkswagen Beetle would look like. You might, there might have been different nuances. Some of it might have been the same, but it's all a picture contrived and conceived in your mind from a physical word that you've heard. It's created a picture for you. Now that's just, this is just life, this is just the human body, this is just our five senses operating. And yet when we get to hearing that's by the Spirit, it's actually in a completely different realm to this kind of hearing and this kind of seeing. Because the things of the Spirit, like we've just read, it says that no one knows except the Spirit of God. So what happens when a man that's come from comes from heaven and starts speaking about the things that eye has not seen and the things that ear has not heard and the things that have never entered into the heart of man? Do you not think now now where it was so easy to picture and imagine this V you know this V beetle? Why? Because you've got a reference point in the natural for something that you may have seen. You might have even driven in one. You might have even owned one. But you must have had some sort of reference point for something that was natural. So you could hear so that you could see. Now the danger is that when we get to the gospel and we don't realize that the hearing that we're talking about is not natural hearing and the seeing is not natural, It's a certain kind of spiritual hearing that unlocks a certain kind of faith that enables us to see in the Spirit. All of a sudden, you cannot read the Bible, 
listen to a sermon, engage in discipleship in the same way that you do talk about any natural, normal thing in life because you've got absolutely no reference point unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. Does that make sense? Why, why is this so important? Because if you don't recognize and realize that hearing is of the Spirit, you'll hear and read the gospel as if it's like any other natural, normal thing. So you'll hear about the love of a father. You'll hear about love, full stop. And you'll relate the love of a father to a father that you know, or a picture of what you think a father should be. If you, if you don't have a good father and you hear that God is a good father, you'll think of another good father, and you'll find your own reference point for who God is. But that's not who God is. You'll hear, there's so, you'll hear so many things, and like we see in this Matthew 13 verse, the Bible is littered with parables and pictures and typologies, but they're only unlocked by the certain kind of hearing. Because if you don't hear by the Spirit, you'll relate the parable to your own life. You'll relate to the natural thing, you won't relate to the supernatural and so it is so absolutely essential that when we start to unpack things like the bride, you can't know what the bride is by getting married. You can't know what it means to be a son of God by having children. You can only know them by revelation. And actually, when you receive the things of heaven, the things of the Spirit by revelation, it actually gives purpose to every natural and physical thing. You start to see the bride, you start to see physical marriage through the lens not of your own marriage, but the lens of an eternal marriage covenant. You start to see your kids as if they're a gift from God and not a frustration because he's given them to facilitate an environment actually for your own growth and for your own learning to, to teach you what it means to, to love and to <laughs> I hope they laughed at <laughs> but do you see what I'm saying the spirit needs to be first and a natural second we can't have the, the natural first and have the natural things defining the ultimate eternal things that God has predestined for us and so Paul, uh, sorry, no, the writer of Hebrews, he says, oh, guys, I can't speak to you as, as, as the spiritual men yet. I have to speak to you as babes in Christ. He said, there's actually, there's actually so many things that I, that I long to share with you. Um, he says, I've spoken to you about natural things and you don't believe me. How will you, how will you find it when I start to speak to you of heavenly things? And so the things that we've been hearing over the last number of weeks are heavenly things. You need spiritual ears to hear and understand. And um, sorry, this little spiel has gone on a little bit more than anticipated, but I feel like it's, an, I feel like it's important, and I, I hope, that the, hope that what you've heard is that you need to hear in a way that you've never heard before in order to see what you haven't been able to see that exists in the, in the supernatural realm so that you can live from God and from his eternal purpose and from who you are in him. Is that cool? All right, so we're going to be looking at faith uh, this evening and we'll just, um, we'll just start off with Hebrews 11.6 and we might get to this uh, question afterwards. So Hebrews 11 verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him. 
Just remember, keep in the back of your mind what faith is and the ability to see what's unseen. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So guys, it'd be awesome to, to start from there and unpack, you know, why, you know, um, the writer of Hebrews says here, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Why, what is it that is so vitally important about our faith? And what is it about faith that, that's pleasing to God? I know. Your turn, yeah. Joe. <laughs> you guys are hard acts to follow. <laughs> uh, look, to me, the, the why there is if, if he's designed us for a, a co-wearing partnership with him, a joined life with him, then we need to see things the way that he does to be able to participate in that life with him. Otherwise, you're in this kind of, he's seeing the heavenly and eternal, and I'm seeing my day-to-day life. It's just... Although we are compatible with him through the Spirit, if we can't see that, we are living as earthlings rather than in a coherent relationship with him. Yeah, I think everything comes from faith. And so if you, you know, if you just have a look at Hebrews, by faith, by faith, by faith. So every work is done by faith. And so if we don't have faith, we can't walk in alignment. We're going to walk out of alignment because you need faith to walk in alignment because everything comes by faith. And so, you know, we're changed by the ability to see what's in the unseen. So if I can't see, I'm just going to know that he's God. You know, it's like I have a conviction that he's God. No one can rob me of that conviction because that's the measure of faith I have. But outside of that, I don't know anything else. And I need to know what else there is concealed in this thing called faith because this is the instrument, like I put there, it's the currency that enables me to access God, who I am, his plan, his purposes, and how all that gets unfolded. So if I am not a man of faith, then I'm just going to live by my flesh. And I will understand and have a perspective of everything I hear through flesh. And flesh is dead. And so it's critical. And as we get through this, this is why Jesus addressed them when he said, you men of little faith, you men of no faith, because he knew they needed faith to be able to live in accordance to the design of heaven. Hence, a lot of the time, they're not living lies of faith, are they? They're living lies of flesh before a particular point. And he's moving with them to get them through this thing called the cross and then into life. And so faith is critical. That's why it's one of the top three. It's not number one. Lovers. Because you can have faith and not have love and you're just nothing either. So it's not enough to just have faith and move mountains. You actually need love. And they're all interconnected as to one thing. His name is Jesus. And I think that's so key, what, what you said there about, you know, without faith, you, you might believe that God is, is real and that he exists, but that, 
that could be the extent of it. And in fact, you probably even need faith to believe that much. But you know, it says here, you know, in, in the second part of this voice, the verse, it says, "For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He's the rewarder of those who diligent, uh, the rewarder of those who seek Him." Eh? You know, and it, to me, it's interesting that it has both of those elements to it. It's not just believing that God exists. And I think if you were to ask, you know, 95% of both Christians and the world, what, is it, what does it mean to have faith? It just means I believe that God exists, you know? But actually that's not the definition of, of faith really at all. It's, it's one small part of it, but it's so much bigger than that, you know? I wonder if you ever thought of, actually it's impossible, you know, this verse is essentially saying, you know, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. If you come to God, you must believe that he is, and you must know that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, There must be some sort of sight in you to see that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. To me, the question is, well, what, what's the reward? You know, I don't know if you've ever asked yourself the question. The Bible talks a lot about reward, you know, the is that is that a factor in your consideration of, you know, in in your faith and what you see? Do you see your life heading towards an an ultimate conclusion with a reward attached to it for the way that you've lived now? Um, they're, they're big questions to wrestle with. Hey, you know that it's more than just a, a belief in God; it's the ability to see His plans and His purposes. And that our lives are to be swallowed up and consumed in his purposes. Hey. One of the things I wondered when I looked at this is, is why does it say he is and that he is a rewarder? Because it's on the face of it's redundant. Like someone who isn't can't be a rewarder of anything. Um, but it took me to, you know, when he says I am, one of his names is I am, which is just this unchanging him. <laughs> And then when you bridge that to he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So a real sense in this verse that it's what he's saying here is do you really want to know the unchanging me that I am? Because that's what I reward. I don't reward lots of effort and energy and pursuit of who you think I am. I don't reward lots of good works. Do you really want to know me? Because I'm the reward. (laughs) And what happens if you know him? That's a question. What happens if you come to know him for who he really is? Yeah. So his name is truth as well, isn't it? So what does John say? The one that knows truth is what? Made free. See, it's all interconnected. Seek me and you'll be free. Seek the knowledge of me. See, knowledge isn't head knowledge. It's seek the person. And when you seek and find the person, the substance of life, you'll have life. So he is life, isn't he? I am the resurrection and the life. But what's first? The resurrection. I am. I am. You find I am, you have the life of I am. You get the life of I am. Well, the I am was free. You're free. See, it's not a rewarder. He doesn't seek those. He doesn't reward those who seek signs and wonders. 
He doesn't reward those that seek fame. He doesn't reward those that want to save the lost. He doesn't reward the function. It's the fellowship with the person. So when you receive the person, you receive the life of the person, you're made free. That person will lay hands on the sick, like we heard this morning. That person will prophesy. That person will proclaim the word. That person will be in all that was in Christ, but you don't seek those things. You seek the person. See, when Paul got saved, he said, I preach him. He didn't say, I now preach Christianity. He used to preach the Torah. He used to preach the law. He says, I preach the person. I preach him. It says in Corinthians, he says, I release the fragrance of the knowledge of him. So when I speak, I'm releasing the fragrance, the aroma of the person. Now it says some go yum and some go yuck. What's that all based upon? The the yay and the yuck. You're hearing. So the one who hears says, Amen. Faith is birth. The one that goes, eh, stays the same. And the very word that brings you into the life that you would know what's in the unseen, you just deny and reject. Because it didn't come in a form that you're used to. It didn't come in a way that you can hear. And then you may be hearing it all twisted and wrong through your through past experiences or hurt or whatever. And so then you just put it aside and you've just walked away from the word that was going to release you and make you free. This is our challenge, isn't it? This is why Jesus wants to heal every broken heart because the heart is the place of understanding. And you actually reject it in your heart because unbelief lies in the heart of man, not the mind of man. And so your heart goes no or your heart goes yes. Hence why the heart must be healed. Hence the heart is the place of understanding, the place of hearing, the place of seeing. The mind's playing catch up. But a man or a woman that's trying to understand here has already going the wrong way. Um, just as you know, just as you're sharing, Greg, you know, I feel like it's interesting that you're saying about, you know, he's not the rewarder of those who just do works or, or perform a functioning role. You know, it just reminded me of the the woman with the alabaster vial of perfume. Hey, you know, and she she comes to Jesus and smashes the alabaster vial all over the ground and and wipes his feet with her hair. And the disciples get all up in arms and say, you know, could that could that alabaster vial not have been sold and the money given to the poor, you know? And that in their minds, you know, they were thinking, man, this, uh, and, and who knows whether their heart was genuinely intent on feeding the poor, but in that moment their perception was the, the value of, of going and feeding the poor was more than actually that what was taking place right in front of their eyes, you know, and Jesus says to them, guys, do you know, do not see, do you not know what's happening right in front of you? This lady is preparing me for my burial, you know, and so 
There was a there was a supernatural spiritual moment happening right in front of them where this lady could see something that was unseen and could recognize that he was about to suffer and die and was preparing him for his burial. And the disciples were thinking and, and comparing this to the functioning role that could be performed if that act wasn't made, you know? And so I thought just so interesting, eh, the stark contrast between a, a woman whose sight is set on him and can see the unseen versus the natural pers- um, perspective of things to say, what a waste. This could have been far more effective if it was put to good use performing a functioning role, you know? And so, but, but Jesus sees through all of that to see what that. That, that what was happening in the spirit, which was so much bigger than what was taking place in, in, in the physical right in front of them. You know? So, do you have some, did you have something there? Um, this does connect what Sam said, um, even though some of the words on here, I'll just read it and I'll try and explain it. Um, this is in Colossians 2, um, 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Then it says, Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement, which is the belittling or humiliation of oneself, it's where you try to be all humble when you're not, but you act it. Look at me, look at me, oh, I'm such a martyr for Jesus. Okay? It's, it's actually just flesh. And the worship of the angels, taking his stand on the visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied together and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with the growth which is from God. We must come into the substance of Christ. The challenge for the church is we're great at the shadow. And all the things that we do can just be shadows, just like that. Oh, I've got to keep of this, I've got to keep of that, I've got to keep of this, I've got to keep of that, I've got to keep of this, because I'm not of Christ, I'm of Christianity. So just like Paul saw was of the Torah, of the law. They had to keep all these things, didn't they? And that was their format of being obedient. But that was never keeping the law because the law was spiritual. You couldn't keep the law. Just like we can't keep the word. But you know what we can do? We can do all these cool things. And this is why we need real faith. Because real faith sees the way of heaven and doesn't get caught up in self-abasement. Real faith doesn't get caught up looking like the real thing, but not being it. See, real faith won't hear away from me, even though I did all these signs and wonders. This is how serious this is, that we actually see so that you can walk out in alignment and not get caught up in all the things around Christianity, but not be caught up in Christ. Because Christ is the substance, not the things of Christ. And you can make the things of Christ, Christ in your own mind. And that's why those people who hear Lord, Lord, were not expecting to hear Lord, Lord, were they? You would expect people that raise the dead, cast out demons, prophesy, are doing the will of God. Could you not? 
And yet he says only those who do the will of the Father enter the kingdom of heaven. And they're not talking about heaven. So why are these people not being allowed to enter into the kingdom of heaven with Christ when they have done all these things? Because they did not do it his way. So they took his name, they took the authority in his name, they took their gifting, which is not given back, and they did their own will. They did not do the will of the Father because they were caught up in what looks like, sounds like, but actually is man doing his own thing, using his name. It's called blasphemy. This is how intense and narrow this is, but once you see it by faith, the whole thing opens up and it's wide, and you don't get caught up in things you get in him. And that's what I've talked about, raised with Christianity or raised in Christ. Both can do the same thing. That's where the great deception is and the hoodwink is. You see, it's easy to spot the follower who's apathetic. This is how important faith is. It's so easy to spot the follower who's building their own empire, maybe come once a month every six weeks, turns up, ticks the box, and then goes home, and you don't see them again. They're not in prayer meetings. They're not in discipleship because they are living for themselves, but they believe. Then you've got the other camp who are full on for all the works. They have all the zeal, but not in accordance to something called truth. So they have their version of truth. They have their version of God, but they are so full on. They have a zeal and a passion to see the lost saved and to find the gifts and to see the church. But when they're out there doing it, man, they're busy. They're really busy. And they see signs and wonders and they prophesy and they hear and they proclaim and they and they and they and they and they and they. They're the one that is a lot harder to discern because they look like they're doing and they actually have some form of outcome associated with them. Like they actually prophesy. They hear his voice. But they're living lives of lawlessness. Which means sin, they're doing it their own way using his name and they're doing it all for their own sake. So unless you lose your life for my sake, you won't find this life in you, which is my life. If you do it for your sake, I will let you because I've given you a gift and you're using my name. But there are consequences for this. Not heaven and hell, future kingdom. And whether you will reign with me because I know who love me and I know who don't. And I know the ones that are doing it using my name, but out of selfish ambition and preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition. And Paul said, that's okay because the name of Jesus is going out. The fact that you're doing it, you though, on the other hand, that's not okay. Because selfish ambition is demonic wisdom, James 3, correct? So we go, oh, that's okay. It doesn't matter if you do it out of selfish ambition, lust, or you do it out of love. No, he's not saying that. He's saying the fact that Jesus' name is going out is good because Jesus will do what Jesus has been destined to do. And he might save someone, but you, Sam, I've got a different state for you because if that heart doesn't change, when you come before me, I see everything you did was from selfish ambition, demonic wisdom. I covered it, but that's not coming in here. So faith and growing faith prevents you from being that because the amount of burnout in the body of Christ, 
especially in senior leadership, is horrendous. And we have to ask ourselves as leaders, why? Why is there burnout and stress from senior leadership who then create environments of that when Jesus said, come to me and I give you rest? But see, it's operating systems. And you need faith to see the operating system of heaven so you live from rest, cease from your works because you entered rest, and everything that you are now putting your hand to is his hand through you, done from rest because you have a faith that sees, not only now but the future inheritance. So your whole life is determined by this ability to see. I just want to read you this and then I'll pass over to these guys because listen to these words. This is David who saw the resurrection. So Acts 2, verse 30. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he, David, looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ. David looked ahead and then spoke. See what faith does? When you see what's ahead, you speak into the earth because you're living in advance to the reality that is. He's seeing thousand years into the future and sees the resurrection and then he speaks in his time of a future reality that's now. That's what faith is. Faith sees what's in the unseen and then it declares to the earth so then we can all have faith through the hearing of that word that's concealed. Without that, we're not living lives of faith because faith is anchored in the unseen. What we've taught is this. Faith can do this. Sorry, God can do this. This is what faith is. Oh, God can do it. God can do it. Yeah, God can do it, but God wants to use you as a vessel, as a partner, as a marriage covenant bride to be able to walk in the way that he walked and declare what he saw just like this. It's not just about God. It's about God and us. Not God and you, God and us. So we are in covenant with God and we're in covenant with one another that never gets broken. So we're a people of one who are coming into what's seen through faith and then declaring, we're prophesying the testimony of what is. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit in which one prophesies. Don't despise the prophetic utterance when you hear it because you don't understand it because it's coming from a realm you don't know anything about. Because if you do that, you cut yourself off at the knees. Can you hear there's awakening that needs to happen in a hearing to go, oh my goodness. But it's the spirit role. So then it's about positioning ourselves at his feet to hear. Because I can't do that. David couldn't do that. David was a man of the spirit. But I find it interesting, you know, that, that it, it says here that David 
saw the resurrection, eh? And it, and it says, Thereover my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. My flesh will also live in hope because you will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow your Holy One to over, um, undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence, you know? And he sees something that's going to happen literally thousands of years ahead of the time that he's living in, but the expectation of what he's seen in the unseen realm fills him with this hope and life and joy now, you know? So the the, the faith that he has, the ability to see the unseen and see what's finished has an actual real manifestation in his in his life now, you know what I mean? And, and so it's not just that he saw the resurrection in the future and said, yay for those guys, you know? It's that he saw the future and the reality of the future was so real to him that he could live from the substance of what was finished while in the present, hey, you know? And to me, that's what it means. That's why the, all of these guys in, in Hebrews, lived by faith because there was something that they saw that was future but the future thing for them was so now that they lived in it and from it hey you know and so to me it's this this dual dynamic that we had to enter into and live from hey you know and so you can see now we've got the luxury of hindsight the resurrection has physically already taken place but what about the things that are prophesied that we haven't seen manifest in the natural, the promises that are future, do we have the ability to see them in the spirit and live from them now, you know? So just want to share this scripture from 2 Corinthians 10 because it goes back to what Greg was talking about, about the, the real and the counterfeit aren't easily discernible in the, by the eyes, but they are by the spirit. So this is to the Corinthians when they were saying, basically because Paul didn't seem very persuasive, they were questioning whether he was an apostle or not. And he says to them, though, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. So listen to this. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So I know the work of that scripture in my life. Like I would have read that before and said that's about either demonic stuff or kind of things around the, the edges that the Lord might want to deal with. Um, but I don't know, probably about this time last year, he just confronted me with this and he said, no, actually, your idea of what you think I'm building is exalting itself against true knowledge of me. It's in the way between us. This thing that you think it is <laughs> isn't it at all remotely Um, and it started this process where he literally he the spirit because this is a a done by um what does it say that by the spirit divinely powerful of dismantling the me that was in between basically but the the thing when he first said it to me um so here it talks in this translation about speculations and every lofty thing he said they're they're vain imaginations joe literally vain vain about you imaginations your idea and they're exalting themselves against the thing you say you want which is the knowledge of me but the power here is he's literally saying it's not by my fancy words but it is by a spiritual word that comes and dismantles gets you out the way so that you can see him know him truly. Joe, what would you call you 
in that. You were getting in the way, and you is your... So what was getting in the way, your... Oh, so my um, soul, basically, my mind, will, emotions, my ideas, um, my own strength, and my thoughts. Yeah, which is her flesh. Yeah. So how does the Bible? How does how does um, John say we overcome? There's three things we're to overcome. One of them's the flesh. What is the other two? The world and the devil, an adversary. So Joe was just acknowledging before you her flesh was getting in the way. So how does John, what does John say, how are we to overcome the flesh, the adversary, and the world? By, no, well, what does he actually say? Literally, what does he say? He says, we overcome the world, the flesh, and the adversary by faith. Your ability to see and know what is. So then you don't get in the way of yourself. A lack of faith, you get in the way of yourself. Because you create your own version of faith. But it's not faith, it's futile. It's flesh. And that limits us, doesn't it? So we overcome the demonic the lies of the demonic, the temptation of the demonic, the deception of the demonic by faith. We overcome the world and all its lusts and the pride of life by faith. And we overcome our very being by faith. Lord, show us, show us what is in you so I have faith to overcome because you won the victory, not me. And it's a victory of faith. Not in your ability to do. I know that's already established. Help me see. Help me hear. So I'm not bound up in me, the world or the adversary. And when you get this, all of a sudden, it's no longer Satan, 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 maybe, maybe, maybe. Because you see it's all lies and rubbish. It's no longer your flesh that's got you caught up because you're getting free and you live free and then you're free to run. Do we have any, um, any questions, guys? And I think this is what Greg was talking about. You know, the you know the the power of lawlessness or or iniquity is what exists in in man without in us without God. But this is why we need faith, the ability to to give us the ability to overcome what we are born into naturally, so that we can live the supernatural lives that we were always called to to live in and, and from. Hey. It's the power of Christ that releases you from the power of sin. So there's a greater power. So yes, what Warren's saying is absolutely true. That's why we can't live. You need the power, the resurrected. You need to get crucified, not covered. 
because you're bound in this power called sin. He's absolutely right. But there's a greater power that's found at the resurrection. It's I am the resurrection. Do you know me? I am the power and the wisdom of God. So you need to seek me because I release you from the power of sin, not just the nature of sin. Many only know him for the nature of sins covered, not the power of sin to release you from sin. So then you can live. So everything is within the Christ. We may not know it, but don't write it off. It's in the Christ. He has done all things for a life of freedom. We need to seek that reality and ask, seek, and knock so we get free. Any other questions specifically about faith and the things that we've been unpacking tonight? I'm not sure who wants to answer this, but how do you ask, seek, and knock? Uh, look, it's hard to say, actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it's a, a, for me it's not a set of activities, it's a, it's a heart that's turned towards him. And it has looked like when this that I just described was going on, it literally looked like sitting, staring at the wall, completely punch drunk, being like, I certainly wasn't reading the Bible, I wasn't praying, I wasn't, I was literally just sitting. <laughs> um, uh, it's a great, great question, you know, and I, I think so, similar to Joe, I feel like to me it, it starts with, you know, that that there's a hunger in me to know him more, you know, and there's something, there's, there's a yearning in me to know him which then motivates some practical things, you know, and so that, what that can look like practically is is simply spending time with him, you know, like I feel like I'm constantly thinking about him and as I'm going about my day, you know, Kirk always jokes about having typologies for a sermon, but really it's not that. It's just that I feel like there's, you know, because he's on my mind, I'll see, you know, I feel like he's speaking to me as I'm going. You know, there'll be times, intentional time of sitting and reading and marinating. Um, I love to go for walks to spend time with him, you know, like to, to just get get away and, and, and just to, to just sit and enjoy the quiet you know so pra- practically that's what some of some of those things look like but but more than any of that like joe was saying i don't I feel like we can't i can't prescribe a formula i can just say for me and you know I, I find i just find myself in those kind of environments you know so yeah i think the challenge eh, is is the internal realm being changed so then I seek from an internal realm changed. Um, we had a dialogue with our group on Thursday night and what the person was hearing was, Greg, are you saying not to read the word? I was like, no. I said, but my inner realm and your inner realm are different. 
the operating system here, when I read the word, is different from your operating system. So what I'm saying is your operating system needs to get crushed. Then go read the word. Because I'm reading it through this operating system of the spirit and get life from it. You try to access that with the wrong operating system, you get nothing. Then you hear, I'm telling you not to read the word. Okay. Um, I'll give you an example for me. <clears throat> um, and it relates to Danielle when we met, because um, we broke up. And I'd had a word of the Lord. I'd heard clearly that we were going to be together. And I find myself not being together. And it was a Monday night, I remember this. And he said, I want you to meet me down at the waterfront tonight. I'm like, okay. What time? 8.30. Okay. This was in the morning. By the time 8.30 came along, it was raining and cold and windy. A beautiful Wellington day. I hear, come down the waterfront. I've got an answer to why you're not together right now. Okay. So the bonus was I used to work for NZ Safety and we had amazing wet weather gear. <laughs> so I'm down, I into a parade on one of the bench chairs under a floodlight, sitting there with my Bible, waiting, probably looking like a real plonker. <laughs> people are walking by, people are running by. And I'm sitting there, an hour goes by, nothing. And I'm looking at the stars going, is there going to be like lights in the sky? What are you going to tell me? And I'm just sort of looking around, nothing. Two hours go by, it's now heavier. I'm cold. I've got my blanket, my Bible under the blanket, and I'm going, what's going on, Lord? I'm here, where are you? 11 o'clock. At the corner of my eye, I see three people walking towards me. You've got to imagine, it's quite dark, but there's those lights that sort of light up, and it's raining, and I'm wet, and I'm sniffling, and, you know, not crying, but sniffling. <laughs> I had a word of the Lord. It's come to pass. She's a tough fish, but I caught her. <laughs> <laughs> Not a piranha. <laughs> anyway, I see these three people walking towards me. And you know when you're like, oh, I don't want to look, but I see them. And then I feel them behind me. And I can hear them like, listen, I'm like, oh, they probably think this guy's a freak. What's he doing at 11 o'clock at night in the middle of the rain, sitting out here? And by that stage, I'd sort of put the Bible on my lap. And they walk off. And I'm like, whoa, they probably thought Anyway, then I hear footsteps coming back. And then this voice says to me, excuse me. I'm like, yeah. Um, are you a Christian? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> he says, so am I. I'm like, wow. And then his uh, son and daughter, probably 17, 15, sort of came up. You know, the coast is clear. <laughs> He's not a nutter. <laughs> and they're just sort of in front of me. And he says, Son, he was older than me, he said, what on earth are you doing out here in the rain? He said, we're from Auckland, it's freezing. We've just come out to go get something, we're going back. But what are you doing? I said, well, I said, I've broken up with my girlfriend. I said, but I had a word from the Lord, and he told me to come down here and seek him, and I'd have the answer. They're like, wow. And then I heard this as clear as I'm talking to you. Ask them what their names are. I went, Okay, 
um, can I ask you what your names are? She said, the daughter said, oh, Mary, whatever, the son gave me his name. And he said, my name's Peter. And as soon as I heard Peter, the Holy Spirit said, the answer what you're looking for is in the book of Peter. Go and look. And I spent the next hour there reading in the rain under the light. I had a cold for a week. Was it worth it? Yep. Do you think I got home and I woke up my flatmates? Yep. (laughs) Who were non-Christians, but I didn't care. And I said, God has spoken. He spoke. I'm like, pumped. So that's one of how I've sought him. Um, I remember when God started to show me about the bride. And I remember it was Tuesday afternoon, 2.30. No, it wasn't Tuesday because that's not my day off. It must have been Monday. <laughs> and I'm looking out our window and I read, those who love more than me are not worthy of me. And I was just marinating, going, I'm not worthy. What am I not worthy of? I have no understanding what I'm not worthy of because your blood makes me worthy. What am I not worthy of? And then clear as day heard this, you're not worthy to marry me. What? Marry you? What on earth has that got to do with anything? So this is when I don't have a revelation of the bride, okay, but I'm on the journey. Marry you? What are you talking about marrying you? You don't, you're not worthy if you love another to marry me. And he said this. By this stage, Danielle and I were married. (laughs) He said, do you think you would have married married Danielle if she got down the end of the aisle, looked over and said, I actually love your best man more than you? I went, no. He said, why would I want to marry a people that tell me that every day with their lives? I love them, son, but they will not be marrying me in the sense of what I mean is coming into the fulfillment of that because we are betrothed to be. But if I do not live a life that is faithful to the covenant, he will not marry you, even though you're married. If that makes sense, what I'm trying to say is there is a ceremony, isn't there? And the bride is to arrive faithful and obedient to the covenant she was in. So I understood through revelation, through seeking, he was showing me, if you love another more than, you are breaking covenant. And the love of God is covering that so the love of God could get into a person so then the person comes out of the person's heart and now I'm faithful to the covenant that I'm in with Christ. And out of that comes the love for one another, see? But I can't love him and I can't love you unless I'm in love with him and so that's another way in which just seeking asking knocking and the Holy Spirit took those words and just went like this and I'm seeing it and that was only a part and then when the whole thing came it was like I turned if you were here I broke I wept like a baby in the front of the altar in front of everybody and I'm repenting because I'm seeing a new picture. And then the whole direction of this house went shunk that way. And if you're around at the time, it was hang on. Because <laughs> she's a turning. And what you heard this morning from Jeremy in the corner is testimony of that change and what came with that change and the 
testing that has come with that change and continues to, and what you've heard with Melissa and other people of a change which is eternal, not temporal. And I can say with this hand on heart, I have never once gone back and said it is not about the bride of Christ from that moment on, and I've never once said the most important thing is the lost, which is what I did say before that revelation. Lost is still important, not number one. Loving God is number one. Loving people is number two. And then living and demonstrating this world, this life. Great question. Uh, <laughs> any, anything else? Any other questions about faith or what we've been unpacking tonight? What about one on the table? Do we got questions on the table? Eh? What did I ask? We can do a verbal question. Um, Just to unpack a little bit more about what you were saying and that moment that you realised that you weren't in the right place. Like, what was what was actually coming up for you? What was what was drawing you to like something needs to shift here? I don't know what it is, but can you describe kind of a little bit more about that? Yeah, I um, was actually talking to Danny about this the other night. Like, I have got a selfie of that moment, like the Holy Spirit said to me, and it's revolting. (laughs) Um, Take a picture of this moment. I didn't understand at the time how significant it was. So it was in the middle um, of Nick, my husband, being really unwell. Um, He was actually... (laughs) We were... We'd driven to the hospital for him to have a round of chemotherapy and I couldn't get in the doors of the hospital. So he toodled in quite happily. I couldn't go. I couldn't get myself in the door. So I'm sitting in the car with the Lord, just like, I'm not coping, God. I'm, that was my words. And he just intervened. He said, where did you get this idea of coping from? <laughs> um, he said to me, um, it's not a shinier of the vision of the world, Joe. The world supports their husbands through cancer. Like it was, and it was just this. And in that moment, I was like, what is this about then? Like, literally, I... Um, so it wasn't a... Th- that was the presenting issue, the moment. And you walked with me through how difficult that time was and how testing. But it was like that That was the moment where he intervened and said, this it isn't <laughs> the it that you think it was. And so the selfie, literally, I was just sitting there. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm just done then. I don't even know anything anymore. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, and then eventually I... Um, it was just one of those beautiful times too where even in that, where the, the religious functional thing is like, I'm so bad because I'm not smiling as my husband gets injected with poison. <laughs> you know, like the, a, a good Christian wife wouldn't just be smiling. She'd be praying for other people and, you know... Um, Literally, that was my, this is where this started. And actually, it was absolutely holy ground in that car. He's like, this, <laughs> this is it. Not it, but it, this is the real deal. So that was the, I see it as that, you know, that moment in the selfie piece was because I see it as that moment, you know, when Peter wept bitterly, when he was like all bravado and it's this and I'm nearly there. <laughs> And then I'm like, I'm not even remotely anywhere near where I thought I was. Does that help?
And so then it was that process, which again you walk through, where it was just this period of just complete, nothing made sense anymore. I could hardly even speak. Um, yeah. <laughs> Paul said it this way, until you become weak, you'll never be strong in the spirit. Get used to being weak, because you'll never be strong. And that just flows in the opposite direction of our humanity. So we try to be strong, but we're trying to be strong from flesh. You see, there's nothing wrong with the person that could go in and support and pray and that because they're strong in the spirit. It's just the authenticness of not having to be that because you can't be that. But when you're, he's in you, you can. And so there's this thing about weakness and God's grace that is a divine work of everything. It's all a work of grace. The problem is we've said scriptures like this, I can do all things through Christ and strengthens me, but what we're really saying is I can do all things through my strength. It sounds amazing, but we just don't live it out and we get exhausted through trying to do all things through Christ's strength with us, and we don't even have the context for what he's saying. But we'll give it a good go. And we get the consequences. So... Until we are weak, we will never be strong. And it's a time to celebrate your weakness and go, by your divine grace, which is sufficient for me, then power is perfected in me because of my weakness of flesh, which I acknowledge and I turn, and now I'm strong. So take your best shot because Christ in me is the power of God. Now I'm strong, but it's not me. It's Christ in the vessel being formed that is strong. But I and Christ are one, so it is me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Spiritually, or let me say this. We are born full of pride we are born evil and we are born to stay in control of us many people don't even know that's their true state in the body of Christ but that's how we're born because we've fallen into that that is a position of absolute strength it's called the flesh it's called your will it is so powerful that that thing wants to live So that needs to get broken and smashed. When that happens, you now become humble of spirit. You are poor in spirit. You can be emotionally a wreck and be the most prideful person on the planet. You can have physically nothing and be full of what I'm talking about, pride, which you try and exalt yourself. It's evil personified. It's demonic. It's what Satan was of, and it's what we are of. Hence, we're born in the kingdom of darkness, needing to be rescued out of darkness and into light, but through power, not through verbal agreement. And so that institution within you needs to get smashed so you become poor in spirit. True humility. And it's very hard to fully describe it in words, but once you know it's happened, you know it's happened, and now you live differently. 
and now you actually are no longer in active opposition called enmity to God. Doesn't mean you know all things. Doesn't mean your mind doesn't be renewed. But there's a reposturing of you on the inside that you knows happen. It's probably the best I've got outside of the reality happening. And then you go, I know exactly what you're talking about. And one of these guys might be able to give more words to it to explain what it is. But it is the first being attitude because it empowers all the other being attitudes. So without it, you won't be the other being attitudes because we need to have that completely removed for the other attitudes to come. See, it's an attitude, it's a being position that his power performs. Because the other side of it, I think, well, the other thing that was happening for me at that phase by his spirit is I had become convinced that he would perform in his word so it's this knife edge place where you I remember saying to people here lots of times at the times I'm like this is I'm completely empty and I feel terrible but I just know he's going to do what he says he's going to do do you know what I mean but it's literally if he doesn't I'm done there's nothing I can do if he doesn't do it it's not happening so to me that's a part of this weakness it's it's Christ and Christ and Christ, not Christ with a lot of assistance from me. (laughs) Which is how I was living, right? It was like, he was talking to me and he was in my life, but it was kind of like he was a bit bigger than me, rather than it's all him. (laughs) We laugh, but, (laughs) yeah. Um, It's only backwards, I'm like, I I didn't see who he was, so I didn't see, yeah, anyway. Um, I'm feeling physically weak, but I'm, just bear with me if I muddle up my words. But oh, <laughs> um, just to give an idea of something that happened in my life when I was an early Christian in 2013. Um, God sent me to Auckland to pray for someone who was in a coma for three months, and they they came out of it. But somewhere in my walk, so like as Greg's saying about the pride, right? We can take pride in even the things that God does through us. And I think that's why my flesh is reacting because like this is our issue is that we we have no idea how evil we really are. And um, so it's been a process of over two years for me of realizing my true state. And I was still pressing you know on in this but um, once I realized oh my gosh Christ himself isn't my foundation and I've had pride in myself and even the things that he's done through me I had to kind of be like okay what do I do now (laughs) and that's still wrong (laughs) oh but he's so merciful Um, and so like I started in my own understanding, once I realised, um, oh, I should watch a sermon, or I should do this, or I should do that, and like because I didn't realise that he still had, like once he showed me <laughs> that I was wrong and that he wasn't my foundation, um, that I still couldn't, you know, do it. <laughs> oh, um, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, he has to do it the whole way through. 
All of it, yeah. Yeah, beginning and the end. We're at the hands of his mercy. And so I just encourage you to find the scriptures, especially in Paul, where he talks about his former life. Then you see these words, but by the mercy of God. And that is not just, oh yeah, but by the mercy of God. Paul is writing from a living testimony of being a man called Saul who was so full of pride, demonic, self, and then realizing, he says this, okay, in my ignorance and unbelief, his mercy was covering me. He had no idea it was until the encounter and then this whole reality opens up and he's like, and I don't mean on the road to Damascus, I mean when Ananias comes and lays his hand on him. All the road to Damascus is is a breaking and a preparing for something that's coming when a man lays his hands on him, which is not Ananias, but it is God. So he says, while I was doing all this, thinking I was in God, his mercy has opened up a realm. So it says, in view of God's mercy, what? Lay you down. Without the mercy, I'm going to try and lay me down. It ain't going to work. I need the mercy to lay me down because it's the mercy that breaks me. And when I'm broken, then I lay me down. I give up. That's why he is such a figure to go and seek because he says, imitate me. Now, you can't unless you're in the man's way, which is Christ. So there's a massive breaking through a revealing that's required through a seeking, through a hearing. People say, Greg, do I have to go and destroy my life? I go, no, but you need to be able to hear the word that does. You need to be able to hear the word that pierces the heart, the sword that comes and thrusts it into your will and kills the spirit of pride that we're all born with. So I can live. That sounds like a horrific death, doesn't it? It's not. It's life. There's your crucified life. There couldn't be life without a death. We all want life, but we don't want the death. But the death creates the life. Sound back to front, doesn't it? Not from his perspective. And I think this is this is the process for all of us, eh? You know, like uh, you know, previously I'd read those scriptures and think it can be easy to think that this is someone before Christ, before becoming a Christian, and then. After and it's some sort of like mystical thing that happens in the spirit, but isn't really practical and real, you know, where you go from being dead to being alive, you know. And so, I, I think you know it, this, um, you know, it's this transaction of actually, you know, death of everything that we were born into in Adam and a brand new resurrection life through power that actually needs to take place in the church not it's, it's not it's not just those out there it's 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 for all of us hey you know what is it sorry not the building 
No, no, no. Uh, yeah, that's not what I was saying at no, all. No, no. <laughs> that's not what people hear. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, you know, and I think even even more so for those who have been raised in Christianity, you know, like we heard this morning, which which I was, you know, and, and having to confront the, I feel like I'm the absolute pinnacle of what a good Christian should be and realising that my, that my, absolute top-notch devotion was was so completely utterly against what it was that was it, uh, it's completely against mercy because it was filled with pride from start to finish and you know and, and so to me it's like you know it's it's an absolute miracle for a Christian to be saved you know let me put it that way <laughs> And look, I'm 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 not joking. I'm I'm actually being absolute. I'm being absolutely dead serious, you know, because I because I I thought that I was so right, but I was so wrong, you know, and and I thought that I was that I was so diligently living for him, but I was so absolutely filled with me, you know, and and. And that's what had to come crumbling down, you know. It wasn't my party life of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know. It was me. <laughs> and yet, you know, like. <laughs> but but sometimes it's like we can elevate that that lifestyle, you know. And 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 actually, it's you know for all of us. There needs to be something that gets us to the point of realizing that we can absolutely not do it ourselves, you know. And I think that that is so conf- it's so confronting and so personally. Personally, I don't think feel like the word humiliating is is accurate because you don't left you're not left with a sense of humiliation of being left high and out to dry. You know, it's like. To me, humiliation is you're left naked, but actually he strips you naked and clothes you with a new robe, you know? And, and that's, to me, what it felt like. It's like all of a sudden I'm, I'm letting go with the, of the pride that I had lived with for my entire life, and I, re- I, received, I received him in me. You know, Greg said something the other week that I was like, man, I've never heard that said before, but that you know, he said... Um, I remember what you said now. <laughs> you said that receiving Christ in me crucified me, you know? And and to me I was like that that is a you know, it's like I, I received Christ and I died, you know? I I didn't you know like it, it's this is no self abasement thing where you finally deny yourself to the utmost extreme that finally you reach this point of such absolute devotion that you're now free of you you know it's like I you know I, I'd worked so hard trying to do that that my beard literally started going gray you know as a you know in my early teenage years you know and and so but yet receiving him was like I died and I was freed and I was alive all in the same moment you know it's like receiving him in, in view of receiving and, and having received mercy now all of a sudden I could live you know and so the, you know how can the Christian be saved well <laughs> 
only in the same way that anyone is saved by the gospel by receiving power of Christ within us that frees us from us, hey, you know? So. The institutional model is so big. Like it's a beast. And it's the church man builds. And God goes to great lengths in his words to tell you this. So Psalm 127, who can tell me what it says, verse 1 and 2? What does it say, Owen? Unless the Lord builds the house, you build in vain. It's all futile. The work of man is futile. It says you can, <laughs> it says go and have a sleep. It says the man, the watchman can watch up all night. It's all futile if I'm not doing it. See? It's all a waste of time, energy, and resource because it's not eternal. It's temporal, and it's all perishing. And when we all come to the realization that not single one person can enter into Christ without Christ, it's liberating. I felt that was the word. It's liberating. Oh, my goodness, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I realize it's free because I've been bound in me. See, the lie we believe is this, is that I don't have a testimony. And the ones that have the testimony are the, um, what's the guy White's name? Todd White, or even me. Okay? Here's the problem. Were you all bound in sin and iniquity and death? Right, so you all have the same testimony because it's not about what I did, it's about the realization that I'm all bound in sin and iniquity. So that's the challenge because the institutional model thinks about what you do, not who you are. Well, I wasn't a prostitute. Well, I wasn't a tax collector. Well, I wasn't on this, 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 and it doesn't matter. The nature of man is evil. You're all destined for hell. You all have a testimony when you realize the mercy of God. So get the mercy of God. See who you weren't. Now see who you are. See how you've been covered while you're trying to be a good Christian boy. And now live. All from power. Cool. So Father, thank you for what uh, what has come out tonight that's heavenly, eternal and divine. Father, I pray that the seed of your word that, that's, um, that now has, has entered this room and our realm would find its way to the depth of our innermost being. Father, I pray that the sword would penetrate and pierce right to the deepest divide within us, dividing soul and spirit. Father, I pray that if we've been Christians our entire lives, but haven't realized the pride that exists in us, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to to where we are so that you can show us, Father, the depth of your mercy and grace and kindness towards us in a way that's so penetrating, Father, that it literally crucifies us on the inside so that we can live this new, abundant, overflowing life in you. Father, I thank you that as this process starts to happen, that that living testimony is going to flow from our lips. Um, Father, that we are testifying not of our life story, but of the person we encountered. 
So Father, I thank you for your absolute devotion to us, your mercy that's held us, Father, your mercy that's covered us, and for your grace that is at the door, ready to enter into us and to empower us to live in a way that we never thought was ever possible before. Father, the thoughts that no one knows unless the Spirit births them in the, on the inside. Father, the heartbeat, the love, the mercy, the kindness, the gentleness, the very substance of your being, your love formed in us so that we can live lives that reflect you and glorify you while we still have breath. Um, so, Father, thank you for what you're doing um, in, in your precious, awesome name. Pray. Amen. Amen.